Hi, and welcome to Wild Milk Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Caroline. And I'm Susan. Every week we get together, we talk true crime cases, paranormal phenomena. We don't really do conspiracy theories anymore because some people had to go out there and ruin those. I think you went on. Everything weird, unexplained, kooky out there. We want to talk about it. Absolutely. So welcome. Join us in our kookiness. kookiness. You go first. You want me to go? Okay, so I keep finding these topics that are these gigantic rabbit holes, man. Ah, those are the hardest ones. So, okay, I we're gonna revisit some of the details of this one. So, I today I want to talk about the mostly about the mysterious death of Pat Price. But before I talk about his death, I'll kind of I, I'm gonna tell you as much about his life as I can. Um. It's a little weirdly mysterious. The whole thing's a little weirdly mysterious, but I feel like you're going to understand why once we get into it a little bit. Okay. I really, like I said, I really could not find a whole lot about him, like a lot of details about his life before the Cold War era. Um, We know that he was born December 8th of 1918, which by the way is exactly 61 years before I was born. We share a birthday. Wow. Which I did not know before I started reading more about his life. Uh, He was born in Salt Lake City, Utah. He was married to his wife, Helen, in 1939. As far as I can tell, they did not have any children. Um, I, I, I kind of thought that I knew that they did have children, but I can't find anything that says that. So I might have just been mistaken. Or maybe there's some weird shit going on. Anyway, um, during his life, he was a police officer who also became commissioner as well as vice mayor in Burbank, California. Mm -hmm. Um, At some point in his life, and I say this because I was not able to determine exactly when, he was also a security guard at Lockheed's Skunk Works, which I'm going to elaborate a little bit. Skunk Works is an official pseudonym for Lockheed Martin's Advanced Development Programs, which was formerly officially called Lockheed Advanced Development Projects. So sketchy shit. uh They're responsible for a number of aircraft designs, starting with the P-38 Lightning in 1939 and the P-80 Shooting Star in 1943. Those were both, I'm going to get corrected if I'm wrong, because I know at least one person who listens will know. I believe those were both used pretty heavily in World War II. Um, You're calling out the men who listen to this podcast. (laughs) I'm calling out one man in particular who absolutely will know whether that's right or not and will tell me. (laughs) Well, I expect a follow-up to this. I don't know. So if I'm wrong, just go ahead and send me a text now that you're listening and be like, no, wrong. (laughs) He, so Pat was also a high-level Scientologist. So we have like sketchy shit upon sketchy shit. Wait, and this was in the 30s? Well, okay, so 
he was born in 1918. Okay. We know that in 1970, like the mid 1970s is when he got involved with um, government research for just to be a blanket term. Yeah. So a quote, and I'm using big air quotes on this, a quote, chance encounter with fellow Scientologist Harold Scientologists, plural, Harold Puthoff and Ingo Swan near the Stanford Research Institute, which is also called SRI, which is probably how most people would recognize it, um, in Menlo Park, California, is what led to his involvement in remote viewing experience, experiments with SRI, Stargate, and the Scanate Project. So let's just recap. We've got Skunk Works, Scientology, SRI, Stargate, and Scanate. Seems pretty sketch. Seems pretty sus. Um, he was known as one of the most accurate and prolific remote viewers. So I think probably lots of people know what remote viewing is, but just to kind of, just, just in case, Remote viewing is the practice of seeking impressions about a distant or unseen target, purportedly being able to sense it in your mind. Typically, remote viewers are expected to be able to give accurate information about an object, event, person, or a location that is not something they can physically see and is separated from them by some distance. Okay. So... Hmm. This is something that's been used... For a long time. Um, the Stargate files were declassified in the 90s. And it really kind of ramped up the interest in the concept of remote viewing. Mm -hmm. It's generally kind of regarded as being a pseudoscience. But even the experts are really divided about whether or not this is something that people are able to do. Yeah. Um, the experiments are considered are criticized for lack of proper controls and repeatability. But at the same time, they've been responsible for obtaining some pretty deeply hidden, hidden information, which is, to me, a compelling argument. I mean, the fact that you can't have a control, I'm not sure how you would have a control in that mm -hmm. kind of an experiment. Um, and I'm not sure how you would repeat it like in a scientific way. Yeah. To me, somebody being able to give you information that they shouldn't be able to know. Um, I mean, if it worked, it worked, right? Right, right. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. But Pat Price is one of the people um, who was known to be really, really accurate and was able to provide sketches of some gigantic um, manufacturing machinery that at the time they couldn't figure out what it was, but later they actually did find basic, like almost exactly what he was describing, they discovered was something that was real and they were able, I mean, when you see the sketches side by side, like the picture side by side with his sketches. Yeah. Unless he had some other way to know it, and I don't know what that would be, 
it's really hard to discount the fact that how else did he get that information? Can if you send me those sketches? I'm sorry? Can you send me that link with the sketches? Yeah, I'll have to find it again. I sifted through so much information just trying to find some more details about his life. Because you would think as a police commissioner that there would be something yeah. out there about him. But there's just not much information. So, like I said, I'm not... The timelines are real confusing, partially because there's just so little info about anything prior to him being involved with government research. So, in the fall of 1974, Price left SRI. So, we know that he was with SRI prior to that, Mm -hmm. but I don't know exactly how long. Um, He went to to fill a position as president of a Huntington, West Virginia coal company, which, side note, had Scientology connections. Um, And during this time, he worked directly for the CIA. So we'll just add the CIA to the list of sketchy shit. (laughs) What the fuck? This dude has lived a fucking life. Right? Um, He must... Why it's so interesting that there's so little... I mean, obviously, like, half of what he's done was top secret shit. Exactly. That's probably why there's not a lot of information on it. But it makes me wonder, with the Scientology ties, how much of this was just, like, networking? Well, yeah, I mean, that's when I say a chance encounter. Like, what are the chances that he just happened to bump into these guys? Um I feel like they were looking for him because they knew something about him Mm. from the Scientology side. Interestingly, they all later become former Scientologists. So they all leave the Church of Scientology at some point. And that's not easy to do. Not at all. Um, You basically have to run away. Or have a lot of power. Yeah, that too. Or have somebody with a lot of power buy you I don't know so um his hand we know that he was with the CIA and we know that his handler's name is Ken Kress he was working um working with maps and photographs that the CIA provided he claimed to have been able to retrieve information from facilities behind Soviet lines um this is He's probably best known for his sketches of cranes and gantries. I should have looked that word up. I don't know what that means. Um, I know it was all machinery, though, and, like, manufacturing equipment. Yeah. um, Which appeared to conform to CIA intelligence photographs. The CIA took him seriously at the time. Um, He worked alongside but also kind of in competition with Ingo Swan. Mm-hmm. And this is the Ingo Swan is, you know, I told you that this also can kind of like connect to the men in black. Yeah. Ingo Swan was another really, really prolific remote viewer. And he claims to have actually been, I don't want to say abducted because I think he went willingly, mm-hmm. but actually like taken somewhere by the men in black. I cannot so, wait to talk about the men in black. Yeah, so, I mean, 
this whole, like I said, I keep finding these these things with all these little rabbit trails. Pat was considered to be one of the best remote viewers, partially because he could actually read numbers, numbers and words while remote viewing. And one of the things that he was able to do is give information about um, the name names that were on files mm-hmm. inside a filing cabinet in a secure facility that existed. That even at the time, the people he was working with didn't know that it existed. But later on, they found out, I think it was, I get the agencies get real muddy. I'm not mm-hmm. sure who's who. I think it was the NSA that yeah. found out about him giving these these code names and were like, how the fuck did he know that? And they were like, so it's real. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they didn't know it was real until it was confirmed by the, I think it was the NSA trying to figure out how he got the information. And then they became convinced that they were being spied on by other agencies. Yeah, that's that would be what I would assume. And can I just say that I just, like Cold War era spy shit is just some of the most fascinating stuff in the whole world. I do love that shit. Um, we need to do an episode or at least talk a little bit more about remote viewing because yes. it's wild. It is wild. And what's really interesting is Russell Targ, who is one of the, um, he was one of the founders of SRI. Mm-hmm. His belief is that remote viewing is not a special ability, but as an ability that everyone has. I he believes that, that any, he, he thinks it's a lot like um, musical talent. Mm-hmm. Like it may be a lot easier for some people to pick up an instrument and learn to play it, but anybody can do that. It's just some people take, it takes a lot more effort for some people than others. And his belief on remote viewing is that anyone has the ability to do it. It's something that's in the human brain it's just it's easier for some people to access that than it is others do you ever think about how wild it is that we only use like a percentage of our brain capacity mm-hmm. Absolutely. i think about that a lot and things like this i mean i i fully agree with him that this is something that anybody can do um and it would be all about i think probably for some people I think some people probably do it naturally without even thinking about it and maybe don't even realize that that's what they're doing. Yeah. But I think anybody has the ability to do it. Um, and I'm, I know the experts are half and half about whether it's quote real or not. But my thing is, even if you can't like write all the little notes down and have all the little scientific boxes ticked, if you can't explain any other way that somebody could get the information that they got that was correct, I feel like you at least have to halfway say, okay, there has to be something to it. Yeah. So in 1975, Price decided to quit his position with the coal company and return to SRI. My question about that is, does that mean he was also leaving the CIA or was he still working for the CIA? And I don't know. That's a good question. My guess would be nobody knows that answer because it's the CIA. (laughs) So on July 13th of 1975, Price flew from West Virginia to Washington, D.C., where he had a meeting with people from the Office of Naval Intelligence as well as the NSA, 
who were now involved with the work he was doing at SRI. He did not, his, he had a friend who is unnamed. I, I've seen people, I've seen places where they use fake names for him. I don't know who this person is. He had a friend who picked him up when he flew in DC to Salt Lake. Hang on, let me get there. He told the person who was picking him up, his ultimate destination is Las Vegas. That's why I say, let me get there, because there's this whole process of travel. Yeah. He tells the friend who's going to be picking him up in Nevada that um, he is bringing documents with him. He doesn't disclose any of the content. He just says that he's going to have documents with him. And he tells him that if anything should happen to him while he's in Las Vegas, the friend is supposed to secure the material and make sure that it gets to put off who is the still working at SRI before local police have a chance to take possession of it, which is just a real fucking weird thing to say. Yeah. I mean, unless you're a spy and then maybe this is something you always think about. I don't know, but it just seems odd. If the friend is not involved in the same world, Mm Mm-hmm. It seems odd, and if the friend is involved in the same world, then why wouldn't he already know? Yeah. That that whole thing to me is a little odd. So on the same day, he flew from D.C. to Salt Lake City. And this is where I say I'm so confused. I can't find any information about who his children are, but everything I see says that he met with his son. And the son had a position in the on Gerald Ford's White House staff. But I can't find out who I can't find anything that says who his son is. So you can't look it up based on this guy's name? I've looked I looked for his, I looked for Pat Price part of the problem is there's an athlete um who I think has also passed away who has the same name. So when you try to search for him a lot of a lot of stuff comes up about both of them. It's a little hard to sift through who's who. Yeah, yeah. But I mean even on like um Like, I have, let me see, what is, uh, let's see. Shit like this makes me want to buy one of those subscriptions to the background check website. For sure. So, on, like, even on Find a Grave, which typically is pretty good, like, it tells you, you know, where, like, where you can actually find grave, different people's graves. Um, it lists his family members as his mother which is also a little interesting um everything i found says that his father is unknown hmm. which is a little unusual yeah. um for the time period yeah. and by the way his mother lived to be almost 100 years old no more than 100 years old she was born in 1881 and died in 1983 wow yeah um Holy shit. So his mother his wife and a brother. But it doesn't list any children as a family member. Maybe they maybe they had their information changed. I'm Is that what you're thinking? Everybody see so everybody it feels like everybody's at least somewhat involved. Yeah. Um 
Or maybe they became aware of the sketchy shit their dad was involved. Well, no, because he, you said he went to go meet a grown son. Yeah. Was it a grown he son? Was on a White House staff. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I'm very, like I said, it, that's super confusing to me because, I mean, it could just be m- incorrect information. Maybe it was just really his brother, not his son. Yeah. I don't know. It's just odd to me that, like, I've seen several things that literally say children unknown. Which is not the same thing as none. Yeah, no. But yeah, no. also not the same as being like, they had two kids. Like, So. Um, Wait, so does people, it say who his wife is? I'm sorry. His, his wife's name is Helen. Um, her maiden name. Just had it in front of me. Her maiden name was Thomas. And she lived. She died, didn't die until 1986. And there's nothing on her children? Um, you know, that's a good question. Let me come back to that. We'll okay. dig into that a little bit in just a second. Because I'm not, I, you know what, I, didn't, I really didn't think to even try to go at it from that direction. Because it's not, it's not necessarily that important, except it's interesting that, you know. But if you get a name, you could kind of go a little bit farther yeah, into the, maybe. yeah. Yeah. So he was only in, um, let's see. He was in Salt Lake for two to three hours before he flew on to Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. So he flew from West Virginia to D.C. to Salt Lake to Las Vegas. Sometimes late were they layovers or were they like flights? Who knows? Yeah. And he's working at this point, he's working with the NSA and he has a CIA handler. Who the hell knows if they were in even commercial flights? Wait, can we like back up or pause for a second? What yeah. exactly is a CIA handler? They're basically like a um they're the contact for a field operative. Okay. So they're the person because of course when CIA operatives are in the field, they're in they're deep undercover most of the time. Yeah. But it's the person that they can keep in. That's the person who is their point of contact with the agency who communicates with the agency so that there's not there's only one point of contact for the operative and then the uh, the handler communicates with the agency and then back to the operative. It's crazy to me that this is a real thing. Like, this is not, this is not just what you, because Rich and I really like the show Burn Notice. Have you ever watched Burn Notice? I watched Burn Notice for a while until it kind of jumped the shark for me. And I was just like, okay, I can't anymore. It's It's a lot. I, yeah, it's a lot. But he is, well, he was a CIA guy. And it's like, they made a whole show about this. But that shit's really, that shit happens in real life. There's Yeah, that's really real. And I kind of almost think that all of the things like like that show, but other media things mm-hmm. that are fiction, I almost feel like it's the CIA like trying to convince you that it's not, like making <gasps> it so much entertainment that you're like, oh, I forgot that's real. <laughs> oh God, we could probably go down that rabbit hole of media and like that's a whole other thing. Like how we portray war is like this awesome like. So fucked up. Yeah, it's the whole thing. Okay, so he's so he leaves Salt Lake, he flies to Las Vegas. His friend, who again, I don't know who the friend is. Um, every time I see it mentioned, it's 
it's either unnamed or it's a pseudonym, so I don't know who it actually is. Friend picks him up at the airport and they go to the Stardust Hotel. On the way to the registration desk, a man bumps into Price. Now, whether this is totally just an accident and it was just a random somebody just bumped into somebody else, um, or whether it's maybe significant is a gigantic question mark. However, not too long after that, Pat told his friend and the friend's wife, who was also with them, that he was feeling lousy, his words. Um, he left dinner early, told him he was just going to go lie down. He wasn't feeling well. So apparently throughout the night, he suffered from pain and was having trouble breathing. At 5 a.m., he calls his friend and asks for help. The friend goes to his room and finds Pat coherent and not complaining of any pain in his chest or his arms, mm. but witnessed Pat having convulsions. Um, let me switch my screen real quick because I'm going to read to you. God, this is interesting. This is on... Okay, um, I'm going to send this to you real quick just so that we can link it. Yeah. Because um, I want to make sure that I'm that we're clear where this particular bit of information is coming from. Because it's very specific. We should really start putting these links on the blog. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so... So th this source that I just sent you, which is rents, R-E-N-S-E dot -E com. And the reason I'm making, sh like, I want to be clear that this that I'm about to say is coming from here because I don't, I cannot 100% vouch for um, accuracy. Yeah. I don't know exactly where all of this information came from, but it was so specific that it's it's interesting enough to to read it and there's a there are enough bits of it that coincide with everything else that's more official um yeah. and and it does have a whole um if you click on this link there's a whole it tells you more information about who wrote it where it came from etc so um this notes that the friend he was with is a former marine veteran who had served in vietnam this says that but so this is this is the point at which the friend goes to his room at 5 a.m. He says it says by now Price's back and shoulder muscles were tense and knotted. He said he'd ha been having severe stomach cramps as well as cramps in his back muscles throughout the night. He was sweating but was coherent and not complaining of pain in chest or arms. Mm -hmm. um, the friend rendered aid until Price said that he felt better and felt like he could probably get some sleep. His friend wanted to call a doctor, but Price put him off and said no. At this point, it's approximately 6.30 a.m. Okay. So the friend goes back to his room and discusses it with his wife. And being that we've now involved the wife, she says, who cares what he said? Call a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Some reason. So his friend goes back down the hall. They're just, they're like two rooms away from each other. So he's just down the hall. So it's only been about 15 minutes. He goes back to his 
goes back to Price's room to let him know that they were going to go ahead and call a doctor. But when he enters the room the second time, he finds Price sitting up. I'm reading this. This is a direct quote. He found Price sitting upright in the bed, rigid from the waist up and staring. His face was extremely flushed, but according to the to his friend, he was calm. He said, quote, I think I'll be all right now. Then his body went into a reverse arc so that only the back of his head and his heels were touching the bed. He convulsed, then reversed and arced again. His friend heard what he described as a death rattle breath sound. By the time he got to the bed, Price was no longer breathing. He began to administer CPR. After a couple of repetitions, he called for a house doctor and went back to attempting CPR. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to skip through a little bit of this. They ultimately do get paramedics. They move him from the bed to the floor. Mm-hmm. At this time, his friend notes that he was holding on to Price's feet. He was holding them when the paramedics shocked Price the first time, which caused a convulsive reaction and brought Price's body up off the ground. They then prepared to shock him again when one of the attendants noticed that he was holding onto Price's feet and advised him to let go, lest the electricity knock him across the room. To this date, he's puzzled by the fact that it had not done anything when he unwisely made contact with the first instance. Yeah. Which is, if that's true, if that's 100% accurate, uh... That's suspicious. Yeah. Um, so they shock him again. Let's see. They, he's ultimately transported to the hospital. Mm-hmm. I don't, I think that he passes away before he arrives at the hospital. But before we get there, the friend remembers the instructions about the paperwork. And he's before they leave with him, he asks him if he should carry out his instructions. Um, No, I'm sorry. He calls. This is where I say, I don't know who this person is. They have to be involved because he calls put off at the SRI and tells him what's happening and asks, should he get him all the information? And he tells him, yes, get anything he had with him about SRI and anything that looks like it has to do with anything they do there. So he collects all the papers before ho- before hotel security can get there and was able to at least glance at it enough to determine if it's something that he thinks he's supposed to be sending on to SRI. Yeah. So he says, among the things he recalls seeing were a contract between Pat, his son, and SRI related to coal deposits in Utah, as well as a preliminary draft of of a report from SRI on their work. Um, The report wasn't addressed to anyone as far as he could recall, but because it looked like it was related to SRI, he grabs it. Yeah. So the material is ultimately turned over to the right person. Um, that all gets where that all gets to where it's supposed to be going. 
So he's taken to the hospital. Um, he is transported to the hospital. I'm not clear on whether or not he was listed as DOA or if he was still alive in the ambulance. Yeah. The official cause of death is a heart attack. Um, of course, there are suspicions that he was murdered by the KGB or a Russian double agent. Um, part of the curious circumstances is that an unidentified person showed up at the hospital where the paramedics took him and showed medical personnel his medical records and persuaded them to waive an autopsy. Hold the fucking fuck up. Hold the fucking fuck up indeed. That's so sketch. Moreover, could it have been his daughter? Didn't you say, okay, go ahead. ahead. um, By the time that his wife was informed of his death, not only had they already ruled it, a medical cause, a heart attack, but had already cremated him. What? No, that's um, too sketchy. So sketchy. And the person who shows up at the hospital with all of this information, which, to be clear, just so that I'm not leaving anything out, he did have a medical history of heart issues. Mm-hmm. And apparently, I mean, according to people he knew, did not lead a healthy lifestyle. He smoked, he drank. He ate junk, you know, so yeah. convincing medical personnel that he had a heart attack, probably not that difficult with medical records, but still real sketch that somebody would show up to convince them not to perform an autopsy. That's, yeah, very sketch. And nobody knows who it was. And by the time they did that it was questioned, the person was long gone. Yeah. So... In case this couldn't get more complicated, it does. Two years after his death, the FBI raided the Los Angeles office of the Church of Scientology. Among the documents they found were records of briefings that Price, who was at the time a church member, had routinely given to a senior Scientology official information about his SRI and CIA activities. This included descriptions of highly classified operations, the names of undercover agency personnel that Price had agreed in CIA and SRI contracts to keep secret. Mm -hmm. The raid on Scientology offices was part of a lengthy investigation, which was certainly going on at the time of his death, um, and eventually resulted in plea deals as well as jail terms for multiple people. Yeah. And concerned the church's alleged infiltration of U.S. government offices and theft of documents. So he was like a spy who was also a, like, he was a U.S. government spy who was also a Scientology spy spying on the U.S. government for the Scientologists. He was, he was, what is that fucking movie? Inception spy. Kind of, yeah. Like a spy within a spy. He was like a spy within a spy. 
But it's like it's weird because it's not exactly double agency. It's like something else entirely. It's completely different. One of them is the U.S. government. Like the other is a religion. Right. It's Who's so, spying on the government where they are located? I don't even. I mean, honestly, it makes you this, it makes you think how much power that stupid cult holds over people. Right. I mean. The thing about this, the thing about this topic is that they're like, we could do an entire episode on Skunk Works, yeah. on SRI, on Stargate, on Scanate, on remote viewing. Like, yeah. <laughs> this dude was into some shit. That is so fucking wild. I mean, and my conclusion is he was for sure murdered. This dude did not just randomly have a heart attack. No. I think he was, I think somebody bumped, when the person bumped into him, which is interesting that that's such a point that's made. Like, they noticed it at the time. It's not like that's something that only, like, they must have noticed it at the time and thought it was at least a little strange. Otherwise, would it even come up later? Would you even know that somebody bumped into him? That's exactly what I was thinking. I was also thinking, I wish we knew more about the bump. Like, was it like a... A bump into him and then they kept walking was it a bump and then they stopped and like he held him close and like said you know like it sounds like that they just like ran into each other and then kept going their yeah their opposite directions yeah. but it was obviously noticeable enough that I mean it's not like he could it's not like after he died he could be like oh hey somebody bumped into me that could have been a problem mm-hmm. they noticed it other people noticed it when it happened. Yeah. Which is, again, I think the friend he was with is pretty deep involved, even though he's not named. Yeah. I mean, obviously he's with Naval Intelligence, whatever, but I think he knew more about this than just like, oh, hey, these are just random documents. I feel like he had more information than it seems like. You said that they were in Scientology together? I don't know if this person was also involved in Scientology. Well, it, makes you, it makes you think it would be a Scientology person because he was. Maybe, although at this point he was no longer involved with the church. Because oh. he was, by the time he died, he was considered a former member. I'm not 100% sure when that divide happened or if it was real. Was he considered a former member because he was going to spy for them and it was better for him to spy if he was a former member and nobody's thinking he's going there. Who knows? <laughs> There's a lot of questions with this. So I like many it. questions. And like, like I said, I mean, all of these things could easily be topics in and of themselves, mm-hmm. not even mentioning the CIA and the men in black tie in, which isn't yeah. to him directly, but to Ingo Swan, who is doing all of the same things he was doing. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, I'm fascinated by um, by him in general. It's just his talent for remote viewing is fascinating in and of itself, which is what made me start researching him. Really? There's a documentary, um, I can't remember if it's on Netflix or Prime, that's called Third Eye Spies. And they talk a lot about him and they touch on, they talk about his death and about how people who knew him and were close to him 
did not feel like he just had a heart attack. Um, and apparently he also, so. Just ignore that text I just sent you. It's to remember, it's to remind myself. Okay. Um, even though I was able to find, um, on the find grave website shows that he's buried in Valhalla Memorial Park in North Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is really interesting to me because in that documentary, they talk about the fact that his grave is unmarked. So I'm, I don't know if his grave is truly unmarked. I can't tell. Um, There's a picture, as there always is on Fine Grave. There's a picture, but it's not clear. Like, I can't read, I can't read any of the little stones and it just looks like a I mean, it's obviously um, some type of a cemetery, but it's just kind of a picture of a field. (laughs) Yeah. I can't tell if it actually shows, like, his marked grave or if it's just, like, here's a cemetery. (laughs) But in that documentary, they talk about him being, like, his gravesite being completely unmarked. There's got to be somebody who's devoted their life to finding information out about this man. I was I was honestly surprised at the lack of some information. Like, there's plenty of things talking about the fact that he was a remote viewer, that he was considered to be a really good remote viewer. Yeah. Um, there's got to be... All, like, all the different places he worked with. But there's just... There was so little on things about his life before that... Yeah. And I mean, the dude was a police officer. Where's he getting the money to be a Scientologist? If the CIA is involved or the U.S. government's involved, <laughs> I could see how information would be scrubbed. Absolutely. Well, and I mean, understandably so, because, you know, we're still doing the We we think of the Cold War period as being over. But the reality is we're still doing a lot of the shit that we were doing during the Cold War period. Yeah. It's just being done differently and, and to an extent quieter. Yeah. So there may, maybe it's because, you know, it potentially could um, burn somebody else. Yeah. Like his son. Yep. I mean, it's- as far as... Who the hell knows? As far as I know, his son's actually a deep undercover CIA op. Or working for the government. Right? I mean, (laughs) if he worked for White House staff, that meant he was interested in politics. So who the fuck knows? Who the fuck knows? And I'm sorry, you guys. I hate hate topics that end in who the fuck knows. But to be fair, I didn't know it was going to end in who the fuck knows when I started. I don't mind topics like this because I just... I I don't mind, but do you ever think, um, I hear podcasts a lot on topics from the Cold War, like projects, whatever, project this, project that, and people are just like, oh my God, I can't believe, I can't believe that would happen. Like, it doesn't seem real. I'm I'm so glad that could never happen nowadays. Are you kidding me? Of course it could. Not only could it, it is. It's happening right underneath your nose. Also, if my FBI, if my FBI person is listening, sorry. 
sorry. I just, I feel like the FBI guy that's like assigned to listen to my phone is like, oh Lord, she's at it again. <laughs> like, Sometimes I'm like, I wonder if these FBI guys are really into true crime podcasts. <laughs> because- right? I mean, I hope so. For my sake, like, I hope this is interesting for you. <laughs> I hope that you're just laughing at all of the things you know that are totally wrong. <laughs> Susan, that was an amazing topic. And it really didn't seem like it was that, like, heavily rabbit hole. I mean, you, you broke it down really well. There's just so many little trails to follow, which, I mean, I feel like we should. I have all of those things on my yeah. list now. Yeah. And I definitely... Remote viewing, for sure. And, and... Men in Black, and then we'll tie back into Ingo Swan, who is equally fascinating um, as far as being a really good remote viewer. And I believe he's still alive. Oh. Um, I think. I'm not 100% sure. I didn't, I didn't, this was enough of a rabbit hole without researching extra people in the process. Yeah. But I believe Ingo Swan is still alive. I know that, um, that some of these guys are, like Russell Targ, as far as I know, is still alive and still um he actually does uh appearances conferences Mm -hmm. where he actually leads the attendance in attempting a remote view i think that next week you should talk about men in black and i'll talk about remote viewing i think we should do that yeah i um i think it would tie really well into this topic because it's interesting yeah, I'm all about it. I was fascinated. Like I said, I start. I was interested in him from watching that documentary. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm just curious because they did talk about his death. Um, I was just curious about it and started researching him and was like, oh my god, this just gets more and more interesting the more I read about it. So I'm gonna go watch that documentary after we're done. Yeah, here, it's I, really, think. I think you'll enjoy it. It's kind of long, but it is really good. I ain't got nothing else to do today but get high and watch <laughs> documentaries. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, okay um, so you have some uh, cryptids. some uh, cryptids for us, right? So I have not only cryptids, you know, our friend BJ, and I told mm-hmm. you he had a Bigfoot story. Yes. So I'm going to tell you that. Yes. Um, and he now has a Facebook group um, with him and another f- friend. I think the other friend lives in Alabama also where they um, are getting people to share their cryptid experiences. Oh, nice. So um, there's some really cool stories on there. So I will kind of shout that out too. Awesome. I love it. Okay. So I'm going to do Illinois first. We left off on Idaho, which was Charlie, a.k.a. Slimy Slim, a.k.a. the Twilight Dragon. (laughs) Yeah. Twilight Dragon is my favorite name, just for the record. So, again, going through the cryptids, it's a lot of Bigfoot. Just with a a local legend yeah. name. Which is kind of great. I mean, it, I think it reinforces that Bigfoot, like, I think it reinforces the validity of Bigfoot. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, and it's fun to, like, it's fun to hear the stories and hear the the names that were passed down and all that. So, Illinois is the infield horror so the first encounter was in infield illinois which is how it got its name it's the south part of the state so in the spring of 1973 
Greg Garrett, who was 10 years old, was playing in the backyard, and his parents were inside. It was in the 70s, so they didn't care what their kids did. They were doing whatever. Yeah. (laughs) They probably locked the doors and said, stay the fuck outside. (laughs) Right. Come home when the the porch light comes on. So they were inside doing whatever they were doing. Garrett suddenly burst in the door, crying hysterically. He claimed that he'd been playing out in the yard. A hideous, misshapen beast emerged from the darkness to attack him. It doesn't say what time of the day it is, but um, if it's spring and it's darkness, I mean, it could be, like, late afternoon. Well, I mean, it almost, depending on if they live near somewhere wooded, that's always kind of dark, even in the middle Mm -hmm. of the day, so. True. Um, According to Greg, the creature was an abomination. He was five foot tall, had three legs, short, stumpy arms, tipped with talon hands, hands, gray skin covered with slime and a disproportionate lar- disproportionate large red eyes the beast had stopped stepped forward and actually stomped on the boy's feet ripping his shoes with its claws in the process before he retreated to the house in terror greg did police arrived at the scene and there was um there was no trace of the entity that greg had described so when i hear stories like this where it's like creatures with like three legs and crazy eyes. I think kind of back to the cold war thing we were just talking about because you know, the show stranger things mm-hmm. and how there's like some secret government experiments going on with stranger things. I mean, all of that is kind of loosely based on MK ultra. Exactly. So yeah. And there's like weird creatures and the unknown and like we, the government, <sighs> governments in general were so fucked up in that time period i mean they still are but they were doing some weird fucking shit here's my thing yeah i just feel like they're doing weirder shit now it's just it's just more (laughs) more hidden it's what we just said yeah i don't know i mean i part of me thinks when they declassify this stuff and this is going to come across sounding real conspiracy theory-ish, and I don't really mean it that way. It's just the logic for me is that it's a misdirection. Like, here, have some UFOs while we're over here doing some other really, really sketchy shit. <laughs> I don't think that's conspiracy at all. I think that's fact. I think that that happens. I I mean... And I'll go out on a limb and say that. I think that I, it makes sense to me that, you know, okay, we've 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 gotten the information we want about this stuff and we're doing some other sketchy shit that we don't want y'all thinking about so here have some ufos oh look yeah look we we worked with psychics in the military we you know like yeah sure take a look at all that stuff that's 30 years old now yeah also they send that shit out and it's like thousands of pages of documents like the normal person is not going to sit there and read that who is going to read that is a conspiracy theorist and so they're going to spout that information back to us and we're going to be like there's no fucking way that's real you know what i want to read some of those like i want to read the thousand pages and i I need to just find them and read them i want to know how redacted they are for one thing like how much Mm -hmm. are you having to infer through the little redacted line yeah yeah um Gosh, if anyone's actually done that, reach out to us because oh, we want to talk to you. Absolutely. Please. Or if you know someone who's done it, like, please reach out to us. Okay. So off on a tangent there. Yeah. So sorry. <laughs> they, uh, Greg's parents called the police. They arrived. They saw no trace of this creature that Greg had saw. 
So a half hour later, the creature is going to make another appearance, but this time it's in the yard next door. Um, and the little boy's name is, or I think it's a, I don't think it's a little boy. I think it's a man. His name is Henry McDaniel. I don't know. I'm going to read farther into this. <laughs> so I'm super interested that the parents called the police. That they weren't just like, well, I yeah. think because his shoe was ripped. But I mean, I, I just, I could imagine somebody being like, just say you, just say you did something stupid and fucked yeah. up your shoes. That's usually, that's usually what you, yeah, that's what I would assume. Yeah, like that, that's, I expected the parents to react like, "Mm, okay, sure. Like, you're just making up a story because you ruined your shoes and you knew you were going to be in trouble. But like, they believed him enough to call the police. Yeah. Which is interesting. It is. Um, That's a good point. So next door, the McDaniel children claim they heard something scratching on the outside of their house. They went to investigate, and oh, Henry McDaniel, the dad, went to go investigate, and he he heard the scratching sounds too, but he thought it was like an animal, like the cat or dog, and he went out to confront it. Um, but when he opened the door, he saw nothing. There was no dog, no cat, no other animal. Looming over the front porch was a the same bizarre monstrosity that um, Greg Garrett described just a half hour before. So when McDaniel described it to the authorities, he said it had three legs, a short body, two little short arms coming out of its breast area, two pink eyes as big as flashlights. It stood four and a half feet tall, which is pretty close to the five foot that Garrett said. Yeah. Had gray colored skin. Um, he didn't say anything about it being slimy, but he said it was gray colored. And he said it was trying to get into his house. Like it was scratching and trying to get into his house. So. Interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, and it makes me think back to the Mothman sighting. I was just about to say that sounds so much like Mothman to me. Yeah, and I don't remember, maybe you do, about how big they said Mothman was. I want to say they said six foot. I was going to say the same thing, so that's probably pretty close. Yeah. I think um, Mothman was big. It also, there's it. it makes me think of another cryptid, but I can't. Is it Goatman? I don't know. There's another one that that description reminds me of that I can't 100% remember right this second. It's still creepy that, like, neighbors... Super creepy. ...within 30 minutes of each other with very similar descriptions. And one, yes, one was a child. He was 10. But the other one was a grown man. Yeah. Well, and a 10-year-old who's obviously credible enough that yeah. his parents immediately called the police instead of just writing it off as yeah. a child being a child. So <clears throat> instead of calling the authorities, McDan- the dad, his name is Henry. I'm just going to say Henry instead of McDaniel. He slammed the door, went to go get his gun, came back, and he said the monster was still there, still scratching away at the house. And he hissed at Henry like a wildcat. Like that's how he described it, like a wildcat hiss. Um, so he fired several shots. He shot it dead on. It leapt 75 feet in like three separate leaps. Okay. So he has, he got some ups. Yeah, that's bouncy. That's a bouncy monster. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he described it when he was talking to police as a monster from outer space. Like he was saying it was an alien. Well, you know. Which in the 70s. 
when I, UFOs were I probably. A grown man is like, it was a fucking alien, okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know the police on that day were like, we were not prepared for this. Um, okay, so when the police were searching the area, they found a series of footprints, and they measured four inches across and looked like those of a dog, only with six toe pads rather than four which I think is pretty odd. I don't know of an animal that has six toe pads like that. That's four foot across. Um, and four it looked like the footprints look like what? Four inches across. Did I say feet? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be clear. Just to be clear. It's feet are not as big as it is tall. <laughs> so four inches across is like, I mean, that's just like, that's like the size of a good sized dog's. But I guess would mine be four inches across? Um, I uh, probably pretty close. About four, yeah. Probably, um, like from your palm, it's probably yeah. about four, give or take. I mean, that's a good size, like dot. Like Mike's paw prints are probably four inches across. Yeah. Of course, yeah. Mike's back feet are as big as my feet. Oh my god. So, Piper's got really little feet. Now that I'm thinking about it. I don't know. Mike is, Mike is half snow, abominable snowman, so. Oh, Mike. I still can't get over the fact that your dog's name is Mike. <laughs> I love it. Um, uh, blah, blah, blah. Okay, yes. Yeah, so the authority said that they found those series of footprints, and it looked like it was something that only had three legs based on um, the layout, and it looked like one footprint was smaller than the other two. Okay. Yeah. They also found scratch marks on the outside of the house that kind of cooperated to what he was saying about the creature trying to get inside. Um, but even though they found all that information, they still were super skeptical of both the stories saying, like, you guys just imagine this, you know, you got together because your neighbors and. I was going to say, I mean, I could see people saying, yeah. oh, you just talked about it. Yeah. Um, but eventually the. Garrett, Greg Garrett and Henry McDaniel's accounts of what happened soon made their way around town. People started referring to it as the infield horror and saying that he was stalking the night. Um, and of course this gained attention. So people from outside of town started to come in to try and catch a glimpse of it, um, to try and like catch it. Um, and it got to the point where <laughs> the sheriff got involved and was like, stop spreading these stories. <laughs> We're tired of the visitors. There's the no poor such, sheriff. <laughs> there's no such thing. Because hunters and... Um, oh, yeah, I can imagine. I mean, there's been cryptid people since back in, like, I'm sure in the 70s. Oh, probably way before that. Yeah, I mean... So, that poor is... sheriff's like... Really? Yesterday, my life was normal. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, they... They still call it infield horror, and I think people still try and find it. And I could not find any other sightings since then, so it makes me think it was like a mangled deer, or I don't, I don't know, something. I'm not, I'm not saying it wasn't something. That's interesting, because that was pretty. That was kind of after the Cold War era, like yeah, seventy three, well, at least during yeah. kind of during the Cold, because Cold War really was through mid mid late 80s okay my history buff over here <laughs> I feel like the cold I feel like the cold war period ended when the when the Berlin Wall came down in 89 okay 
I think that's probably a pretty, I mean, you know, I'm not yeah. sure that there's a like, definite beginning and a definite ending, but I think that's kind of when that shifted a little bit. Yeah, so it could be anything. But I do want to add to Illinois that in 2017, which is when this statistic came out, Illinois ranks second out of all 50 states for Bigfoot sightings. Interesting. So, I know. I thought that was a really cool fact. I didn't know. Yeah, me either. Because you would think Washington State or Oregon or um, there's a lot in Montana. The, yeah, Montana, like yeah. where there's no people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what that's what I was. And thinking. it's not flat, full of cornfields. Exactly. Illinois does have some pretty dense forest areas, though. True. That's true. Indiana is the beast of Busco. B-U-S-C-O. Have you ever heard of it? No, but that's a fantastic name. Yeah. In the 1800s, there were lots of wild children sightings in Indiana. Which is so random and so odd. But people were saying that, like, people nowadays are saying that all these, like, wild children sightings are possible premature, like, baby Bigfoots. Okay, I could see. I mean, yeah. Who knows? I've never heard of a little baby Bigfoot before. Well, no, but I mean, no, neither have I. But that make it would make sense that. Yeah, that would make mm-hmm. sense. Also, in the 1800s, I guess a lot of people um, would put their disabled children out, and um, because there have been wild children who were captured in Can the 1800s. Say, once again that humans are hands down the worst animal. Totally. Oh my God. Just yeah. The, just the worst. Um, also, I've never thought about this before, but what if, so <laughs> little humans don't develop body hair until puberty. Mm-hmm. What if little Bigfoots don't get hairy until after puberty? It's too far, Susan. It's too far. <laughs> I'm just saying. No, like, I, yeah, like maybe that's know. why people they just look like like people just if you just caught a glimpse of them they would just look like children because you wouldn't necessarily be like it looks like a Bigfoot but small because people think of Bigfoot as being furry all over but what if they're not furry when they're born? The only thing would be most people say Bigfoot has like an ape-like face, like monster type. Kind something, of. Something doesn't look like the human face. But we're weird. Humans are weird about what we recognize. Yeah. As human. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think hairless is maybe one of the, like. Yeah. I, I get what you're saying. Like the, um, I forget what it's called. There's the family in, I think, in Mexico that grows hair like mm-hmm. like almost like fur all over their body including on their faces yeah and while when you see them like you can absolutely tell that they're human mm-hmm. um I could imagine that if you saw someone like that just like at a distance not where you were expecting I'm not sure that as a human you would immediately recognize that as another human yeah just because that's di- there's that difference, yeah. that's not what you're expecting to see. True. So True. I wonder if maybe 
Bigfoot has a way more human-like face. It's just that it's covered in hair, so people One don't day we're gonna notice how human it is. Oh, we're totally going to find At some point, this is going to be known. Okay, I so know, this, again, that sounds so conspiracy theory-ish. <laughs> I, don't, I don't buy into cryptids being conspiracy theories. I don't really either. Um, I think it's just... In most cases. I think yeah. in some cases, maybe it could be if there's a motive. But for things like Bigfoot that have been seen all over the world for decades. Yeah. Um, I think it makes more sense that there's something there than it does to be like these people are just, everyone is crazy who's seen yeah. this. So, kind of talking about conspiracy theories a little bit. Just okay. a little bit. Okay. So in 19, nope, nope, 1894, two Ohio newspapers reported the sighting in the Ohio River, um, which is in Indiana, mud mermaids. So they apparently were living or were on the sandbar in the river, and the creatures were about five feet in length, had a yellowish color color extremities that resembled hands but are webbed and furnished with claws um no hair but it had ears that were sharp pointed and stood up like a dog and i want to tie this into the video i tagged you in on tiktok which was the weird video of a mermaid like creature was it the one on the rock near the ocean or was it the one swimming with the dolphins I saw the one on the rock, and then I saw another one that I don't think you tagged me in. I saw another one that you could see it swimming, but you really could just see its head in the water, and it was, I couldn't really tell what I was looking at. The one you sent me is compelling. Yeah, it's very compelling. Um, And I've been thinking about this all week, because I've been seeing the videos on my TikTok feed, and all the weird shit that's going on with the ocean and how people are starting to get more interested in the ocean, which mm-hmm. I think is smart. I think it's very smart that people are trying to dig into that a little bit mm-hmm. and how the ocean was on fire and we've been setting off bombs in the ocean. This is all within like the past month. Yeah. So anyway, I think it is, there's a possibility that these mermaids that we think of mm-hmm. are not that's just what we call them. I think it, there is yeah. a possibility that this could be like underwater alien life that we don't know anything about. Yeah, for sure. So. Did you also see the video of the girl finding a... Yes! Yeah. Yes. Okay, so the video was... I wish we need to like... St- I need to do better about doing the tick. <laughs> the podcast TikTok and like stitching these weird things. You know, I, yes, I didn't even think about that until yeah. we started talking about it. Maybe we'll be better. I can't make promises, but maybe we'll be better about that. We'll, we'll try. We'll work on it. So the video was, I think it was in Brazil, right, Susan? I think it was Brazil. She was on the beach and there was like this uh, washed up fish looking thing it, it was, was long pieces. it was probably it was the body of something yeah. that was in pieces i mean it then it definitely looks like a it looks organic it doesn't look like plastic and it's kind of long not from to what it i could be uh she moved it she she, she moved did. its hand and it had a hand it was fa- it, it would look like, like a human a hand. hand it looked like a hand i say it could be um 
it's so hard to tell when you're dealing with organic matter if you're not i mean she moved it with a stick which for the record is the absolute only way i would be touching that thing for sure (laughs) um but let without really touching it like i don't know how you could be sure that it wasn't something made out of silicone that somebody literally left on the beach just so that somebody else would find it and be like holy fuck it's a mermaid body yeah i'd want to know about like the smell i I want to know about things that i personally absolutely would not investigate if i were standing there (laughs) yeah Like, I'm poking it with a stick is, like, as far as I'm going to go. I hope that with Susan and I bringing up TikTok as much as we do, you guys have really grasped onto the fact that there is some really good, interesting, neat information on TikTok. It's not just stupid dance videos of Gen Z. I don't even see those. I don't don't even see those. My feed is all, like, cute, fuzzy animals and weird shit. Yeah. And I get a lot of recipes, which is nice, because I like thinking that I'm going to make them, but I never make them. Yeah, no, I have several of those saved. <laughs> I'm like, God, that looks so good. It makes me want to order food. Let me just order food. <laughs> I did make a different ki- a type of cookie that I've never made before this week. Um, and it was quite an ordeal. <laughs> what was it? It wasn't really. So, um, you know, the you know, the really soft sugar cookies with the icing that you get at Walmart? Ugh, yeah. Okay, I love those. I'm sorry. Um, I don't. (laughs) They're very divisive. (laughs) Yeah, they are. Um, But my friend Russ's son, that's also his favorite. So, and he just got back into town and I was like, I'm going to make cookies. So I was like, I'm going to attempt these soft sugar cookies. Okay, well, instructions unclear. And or user error. (laughs) You're, what they tell you to do is like, when you make it, the dough is more like batter. It's really, really soft, which is yeah. why the cookies are really soft. But what they t- what they're trying to get you to do is like make like divide them out into like cookie sized portions and then chill them, and then take them out and then form them into cookies. Yeah, okay. I missed the divide them out into cookies before you chill them because that's not what you would normally do. Yeah. So. I ended up having to, like, call an audible and, like, roll it so that it's almost like a cookie dough, like, like, what you like would get. Like sugar cookie? Like sugar cookie dough log and then slice it. But I, like, had to let it chill a couple of times. In the end, it worked out and they were all frosted and they are good. Um, I think Walmarts may still be better than mine. <laughs> but, moral of the story, I overcame and I adapted and overcame and the cookies became cookies. So... Speaking of cookies, I, I am reminded, I watched Guy's Grocery Games, which is what Rich and I are watching right now, and it made me think of you because I thought maybe you would want to make them. This woman did peanut butter cookies, and she mm-hmm. put jelly. She put her thumb down, and she put, like, Smucker's jelly in the middle of it and baked it. That sounds so good. I mean, thumbprint cookies yeah, in and of themselves are always good, but that but honestly Peanut butter cookies sounds- are always so fucking good. I know. That I don't even like cookies. How do you not like cookies? What kind of a person doesn't like cookies? I don't like sweet stuff. <sighs> I don't know what to do with you. Give me a bag of like salt and vinegar chips and I'll be good. Oh, that sounds good, actually. <laughs> yeah. 
Sometimes I do get cravings for sweet stuff. And really my go-to sweet thing is either like um, Italian ice Mm. because it's, I don't know, it just is a craving I have sometimes or um, the birthday cake sprinkle cookies from Publix. They're sugar cookies with like sprinkles on top. That sounds good. Which is so basic, but they're the best sugar cookies I've ever had. I wonder if they're made with, I wonder if they're like made with the birthday cake batter flavoring. It kind of tastes like that because it does taste like a sugar cookie with sprinkles, but it also has some kind of different sweetness to it. That'd be good. I'm so going to make some cookies. I have a Funfetti (gasps) box. A box of funfetti and I'm so which was bought to make a dip with that I realized after I bought it like I'm never gonna make that like funfetti batter it's like the it's just like the box of funfetti um oh. cake mix yeah that I bought to make yeah. this like it's like a it's like a dessert dip yeah that you make with um I've seen it. Vanilla pudding and something else but mm-hmm. it has the, but I'm so gonna use that box to make funfetti cookies now you know what my favorite time of the month sweet because that's when I crave sweets snack is but I don't get it often because I'll sit there and eat it and it's a lot of calories is a tub of funfetti icing and graham crackers. I support that. Um, I usually buy cream cheese icing instead of funfetti icing but I'm I think there's there's a there's a certain brand of funfetti that's the best with and it's not it's like the round funfettis that are kind of chewy. So fucking good. I mean, so how could you go wrong? Okay, let's let me tell you the last cryptid in India. Oh, tell me the last cryptid. Sorry, we totally got distracted by cookies. It's okay. I hope you all enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> so Oscar, which is the beast of Busco, he is the most famous cryptid in Indiana, and it's said to be a giant turtle whose shell is as big as a dining room table. Which is pretty fucking big. I, it doesn't say like four person or eight person table. I'm assuming a four person. How many people can sit at this turtle? Right. We need information, people. So it's said to inhabit a lake. I'm going to butcher this name and I'm so sorry. Churubusco. So butchered. Indiana. It was first spotted in 1898. But his popularity really picked up when two fishermen sighted him in 1948. Um, So it basically led to an all-out, like, effort to capture this monster. They even drained the lake. Okay, I don't know how big the lake is, but they drained the lake, which is probably not an easy feat no matter what. I just have Um, questions. Like, why can't we just leave people, like, just leave the... He's just minding his business. Just leave him alone. It reminds me. Did you see the new Disney movie that came out called Luco? Luca? I have not seen it yet. I am well, not. A, I am not a fan of Disney movies that have any type of creature in them because of sadness girl. reasons. But this one is good. So he's a sea monster. It just. It very much looks like a new version of The Little Mermaid, though. Like it I is. That's almost, exactly what I said. Okay. Like I saw a preview for it, and I was like. Did he just say he wants to be where the people are? Because that's what I heard. What I think they're trying to do is have like a, which is kind of fucked up because gender doesn't really matter, but like a a boy version of the Little Mermaid. Like they wanted it to be a boy main character, which I understand. That's exactly what I got out of it, which is whatever. So they tried to make it a little cooler and he's like a sea monster instead of a mermaid. I kind of love that. 
yeah. Anyway, it's a really good movie, but basically, as soon as they find out he's a, he's a sea monster, they want to hunt him. So, people are, or humans are the worst. Humans Even are in the cartoons. Worst. <laughs> I know, right? Humans are the worst. Um, okay, so they emptied the lake, drained the lake, and they came up empty-handed. The town, however, really wanted to, like, bank on this sighting, and so I'm sure the, it's called Turtle Town USA now, and they have um, a Turtle Day festival every year. Yeah, so. The Turtle Day. <laughs> the Turtle Days Festival, and it celebrates. Um, Os- and they've named him Oscar. The Beast of Busco is now Oscar. Oh, Oscar. So, I mean, you um, realize a turtle that big. Like, I mean, I know they drained the lake, but. Yeah. I mean, turtles can live a really, really long time. Yeah. A turtle that big could easily be, like, like 200 years old is not out of the realm of possibility for turtles. It's, I, when I thought about them draining the lake, my first thought was, like, how many fish did they kill when they drained this lake? There are so many questions I have about, like, you drained the lake looking for a big-ass turtle? That's a lot of money. And second, did they drain the lake completely, like, dried up? They saw the fish suffer as they died? Or did they drain it I, to a certain point and then dive? Surely they just drained enough out that they could actually <laughs> act. Surely. We're just going to tell ourselves that so we feel better. <laughs> I not this math, like, fish suffocation. I mean, never, mind, never mind the fact that, like, what do you mean you drain? Like, there's not, like, just a drain plug to pull. What do you mean? Like, how does that even and the thing is, is they're in fucking Indiana. Where are they going to drain this, dude? They can't drain it to the ocean. I have I have as many questions about the draining of this lake as I do about a turtle with a shell as big as a dining table. There's got to be a or, listener or a who... Person. Either there's way. Gotta, there's got to be a listener who knows about this, who's from Indiana and has heard about the Turtle Town USA. I, I'm so going to look into Turtle Days because that honestly sounds like so much fun. Yeah. Okay, let me think of all the different places that have different, like, little festivals like this. Like, how much fun would it be to, like, travel and go to all those different festivals? That's not a bad... I'm going to look up, and I'm going to look up these festivals and try and make, like, a... I love it. Start in our state first, and then move... Okay, let me find BJ's story. Oh, yes. Okay, here we go. I'm going to read it exactly as he wrote it. Okay. All right, this is going to be a long one. It all starts when I was about 10. Me and my cousin were playing out in the woods one day and decided to get off the trails we usually take. When we came across this weird structure, it was arranged in a circular pattern and it had a bunch of large trees and stuff from people's houses placed in it. So if you know anything about Bigfoot, this is me talking, he or she or it like snaps branches and bends mm-hmm. them to make structures to make like a nest yeah kind like of. a nest um, kind of similar to what other primates do yeah 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 so that kind of reminded me of that mm-hmm. he says while we were checking it out my cousin noticed something behind me i looked up to ask her a question and she didn't respond so i asked her again she still didn't say anything so i looked up and when i looked up at her she was just frozen I turned around to see what she was looking at, and when I did, it was just standing there looking at us. I only looked at it for a second before I jumped and pushed her to turn around and told her to run. We ran all the way back home, but we didn't take the trails. We just ran straight through the woods. 
when we get back, we were all cut up and bloody because we ran through briar patches. Um, but we were so afraid. We told my mom, but she didn't believe us. <laughs> Typical mom. Typical, yeah. Yeah. Nothing really happened for a while, even though I wouldn't go back in the woods, the thing I love doing the most. But like I said, nothing really happened. So me and my cousin never really told anybody else because my mother didn't believe us. So we just kept it to ourselves. One night when we were both about 16, so six years later, my brother was letting us drink some wine coolers at the house. <laughs> I don't oh, man. Days. Wine coolers when you're 16 are so good. <laughs> so good. And then when you drink them again as an adult, you're like, oh, God. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And we all had the same experience. <laughs> totally. <laughs> We decided to tell him, I think he's talking about his brother, what Mm -hmm. happened to us. I was hoping he would just say that was crazy and it was bullshit. Um, That's what I was hoping for anyway. Instead, he told us about a time him and his buddy stole some cigarettes from my mom and they went on a walk down the road to a little bridge and they went under it to smoke them. He said on the way down there, about 200 yards away from the house, they noticed something in a ditch, but it was kind of dark so they couldn't tell exactly what it was. They kept walking, and when they got about 20 feet from it, they said whatever it was stood up in the ditch and was looking them both dead in the eye. But my brother and his friend are about 6'1", and wait, are about 6'1", and the ditch was three feet deep, so that would put this thing around nine feet tall. He said that that was the only time he ever outright outran his friend back home. So needless (laughs) to say, his story did not comfort me at all. Okay, that was the first half. (laughs) But crazy that him and his brother both had an experience like that. Well, I mean, it sounds like they lived in a place where there's a good wooded area. And, I mean, it's not like Bigfoot's going to be run out of its home by two 10-year-olds that ran away, so. (laughs) Yeah, no. Um, Okay, so he says, after a little while, after that I was still a little freaked out about the woods, but started going back in them, even though I was nervous pretty much the whole time. Yet nothing, yet again, nothing that had really happened for a few more years. Then one Friday night, I was talking to my girlfriend at the time on the phone. It was late, and I was ready to go to sleep. So I told her goodnight and that I love her and all that jazz. (laughs) But I decided to stay up and watch TV instead. (laughs) He just wanted to get off the phone. (laughs) Look, sometimes you just have to get off the phone and watch your murder shows or whatever boys watch. (laughs) You do. While I was sitting there watching TV in the living room, I heard a noise that I still can't figure out what it is. It was the loudest thing aside from like a jet engine or something like heavy machinery. Not only could I hear it, I could feel it in my chest uh, like the bass at a rock concert, like the throbbing, pounding, throbbing pound in your chest. It sounded like it was standing in the front yard, and it just kept doing it for, like, 15 minutes. I didn't ever think it was going to quit. And I was a 21-year-old dude, so I wasn't about to go wake my mama up to <laughs> to get her to help me. But I couldn't figure out how she didn't hear it. Every dog in the neighborhood was going crazy, like, not just bark at the wind crazy, like there was something dangerous around. So I finally got up the nerve to peep out the door and much to my delight it wasn't in the yard but it was across the road in some woods like the noise that he's hearing when I opened up the door to try to get a better hold on things not only could I hear it screaming a lot better I could also hear it moving around the woods thrashing about breaking small trees sounded like 
sounded like it was mad about something. So I went and grabbed a shotgun, loaded it with the meanest shells I could, walked outside, um, ready to check it out. Yeah. Wait. Men. Wait. Okay. But, like, there are mean shotgun shells as opposed to, like, not. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had no idea there were levels of this. <laughs> I just assumed they were roughly the same. I don't know. I'm assuming he meant the the baddest, the biggest, the toughest. I don't. I I have questions. Uh, I don't know. I I, clearly I know nothing about shotguns. I don't either. I just now found this out. I just assumed they were all roughly the same. I didn't really know there was like a huge difference. And I know that there are people that are going to be like, oh my God, what an idiot. Sorry. I've literally never shot a shotgun. I have no clue. (laughs) I I shot a shotgun once, but I still don't know anything about the bullets. We have a, my dad gave us a gun and it's like a really old, huge gun that I could never defend myself with if someone broke into our house. Just have to, like, hit them with it. Because <laughs> I, I have to hold it, and I, like, can't even... It's huge. It reminds me of one of those ones that used to use in the Civil War where they have to, like, pound the gun. <laughs> Your dad's like, here, baby, have a musket. Defend yourself. <laughs> That's what I call it whenever <laughs> we talk about it. I'm like, the musket? You want me to defend myself with the fucking musket? <laughs> I'm not going to do it. (laughs) Okay, back to his story. So he found the meanest shotgun shells he could. um, But for some reason, I felt like it wasn't going to kill whatever this was. So I just went back in the house to sit in the living room with a shotgun ready to shoot it if I had to. After about 30 minutes in total, on and off, it finally quit around 4 that morning. But I never went to sleep. This is another experience. Oh, wait. I think this is a whole other thing that his neighbor. This is another experience my neighbor had. About two years later, I proposed to my then girlfriend. and We were going to get married. So right before I got married and moved out, my neighbor came down one day. Uh, my neighbor is my cousin. He told me that before he was going into work that morning at around four, he noticed my mom's interior light was on in her car like she didn't shut the door good so he was going to go close the door so her battery didn't die on his way down to our house he said he heard something in the woods growl and snarl at him at first he thought it was my dog ozzy because ozzy was a big main big main outside dog that we used to keep the property safe but as long as he knew you you were good so he said he tried to talk to ozzy because they he figured it was him he said when he's my god when so much fucking reading he said when he's he tried to start talking to it, either a very large stick or a pretty good-sized rock came flying out of the woods and almost hit him. I mean, and if you are into Bigfoot research, you know that they throw shit mm-hmm. to get you to either scare you or whatever. So anyway, he never made it down in my mom's car because he freaked out and ran away. Um, my cousin still... Go ahead. I just love all the big mountain dudes that are like, well, fuck that shit, I'm running away. <laughs> Um, my cousin still lives on the property and I've tried to talk to her about it but unfortunately she can't really be reliable she's had a pretty bad drug habit for a few years oh that's sad Um, she's talked to me about some stuff but I don't know if it can be trusted so I won't include her tellings I um, I love her to death I wish she could get clean but she just unfortunately um, 
is not reliable. That's sad. Um, he said he has a few other stories, so I'll have to get some from him. But yeah, that was his that's story. And that's here that, in Alabama. That, that's pretty mm -hmm. compelling indication that there's something living out there that they don't, that they haven't. Well, I mean, they have seen it, I guess. Yeah, I mean. That nobody has been able to 100% identify. Here's what's interesting to me about Bigfoot experiences in general. Yeah. It's interesting to me that at this point where everybody, and I say everybody, I mean, the vast majority of people are carrying cell phones, mm -hmm. which means cameras, all the time. Yeah. It's interesting to me that there's not more um, video and pictures. But I think there's a lot because I follow on the podcast Instagram I follow a lot of like Sasquatch accounts mm -hmm. and there's a lot of little clips of people recording on their phones while they're out in the woods but it just that's shit's not going to make it to like True. mainstream media and so unless well, you're out there looking for it I guess it just seems like if it was something if it was like big evidence like mm -hmm. look here's here is an obvious picture yeah. of something standing in the woods I feel like I would, I follow enough different types of things that I would probably see that. Yeah. But on the other hand, I mean, sometimes getting a picture, I mean, look, try to take a picture of your cat. Sometimes getting a picture of the cat that lives in your freaking house is impossible because yeah. the moment that you have a camera, they're like, nope, bye. Yeah. So maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe Bigfoot's just like, a house cat and is like, oh no, there will be no pictures. Thank you. My dog is my dog. I feel like she thinks I'm stealing her soul when I try and take a picture of her. That is how so my she cat has. acts. Yeah. Every time I try to get a picture of Ozzy, he's like, oh no, oh no, not today. <laughs> um, I'm gonna uh, shout out his Facebook group. It's called oh, Yeah, definitely Creek Bank. C R E E K B A N K Haints. H-A-I-N-T-S. Yeah. I love that word. I've never heard that word before. It's like a really kind of um, quaint word yeah. for like haunts, but not oh. like ghosts necessarily. Like oh. kind of all-encompassing anything paranormal. That's awesome. It's a fun word. I enjoy that. Um, so they already have some really good stories on there, and they're thinking about putting together a podcast. So I would absolutely love it if they did that because, like, they're going to focus it on cryptids, which would be amazing. But anyway, go check out that Facebook page. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to add them today because that's it. a lot of fun. Thanks for checking out Wild and Woke Podcast this week, guys. I'm Susan, and this is Caroline. We're your hosts. We come to you once a week, every week with Fun topics including paranormal phenomena, cryptids, all things weird, unexplained, creepy, maybe a little conspiracy theory in there. You could convince us, perhaps, with the right kind of story. <laughs> Join us for a dive into the mysterious. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or any other platform you use to listen to podcasts. And remember, all stories start somewhere. Be wild, stay woke, and question everything.